Hi, this is Ross Payton with Roleplaying Public Radio. This is RPPR episode 73, The Complexity Complex. And with me, as always, Tom Church and special guest Caleb. Yeah, you know who I am. Why, why, you, you, don't, you don't like me. Why don't you say, say, hi to, say hi, Caleb. Caleb's the new flavor of the month. A- everyone loves you, Tom. I love you, Tom. You heard it here first. I'm awesome again. Caleb sucks. It's a mutually exclusive thing. <laughs> Uh, your life is a limited, finite, th- uh, finite thing that uh, you see. Uh, but you see, our, but you see, the thing is, Caleb, uh, Caleb, and our our lives are intertwined. If one, th- if something happens to one, it happens to the other. So therefore, we are eternally locked in a dance of death in this world. <laughs> it's got dark pretty quick. This is uh, news to me. Yes. Anyways, oh, we're back. I meant to tell uh, you about that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I went to China last. Oh month yeah, too. like hi Russ. I went to China. Yes. I saw the world. I saw a large part and of it. And I took care of your lizard. Yes. I, that was my contribution to yeah, your wonderful journey. It was. I brought back souvenirs. Everywhere. Yeah, you did, but sorry, I hardly think they make up for the fact that you got to see another vibrant culture. Well, and I got to see your lizard and hope he, this wasn't the day he finally decided to poop. Well, he pooped the day after I got back. Does that help? He at least did that for me. Yeah. Your lizard was looking out for me. Yeah. Um, I'm sure this is riveting listening. Yeah, it is. And now everyone knows when Ross's lizard pooped. Yeah. That's what you tuned in for, America. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, not just America, it's the world. Hey, well, come, so, well, come on. Uh, well, come on. The, the countdown of Mifune pooping was probably more exciting than that weird TV show where, uh, oh, that... That one of the guys said, "What team is he going to join after Cleveland?" <laughs> We're real sports fans here at RPG. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> Did they score goal units? <laughs> I don't Yay! Know. Go my I favorite hope, sports team. I go! Hope my favorite squadron won the uh, <laughs> intramural. <laughs> the competition. <laughs> score ma- out for a while. You're laughing about this. Like, score many goal units. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, LeBron uh, James. That's the point who is, we're back now. Yes, and uh, we have so much <laughs> hey, great stuff Caleb, to talk about. Pace your, do you need uh, some water? In this episode, we're going to be talking about complexity and how, like, for me, going to another country, seeing how things are, realizing that things aren't so simple. Uh, so we're going to talk about that as it applies to gaming. Uh, but first off, we have some news. Uh, and in fact, Caleb uh, would like to, to kick it off because he's got a very special announcement for all you fans. Hey, uh, everybody. Um, I hope some of you are like me. I mean, you can only love Tom, apparently. But uh, I am finally putting up the Kickstarter for No Security Horror Scenarios in the Great Depression, uh, which will release uh, Bryson Springs, which some of you may be familiar with. Uh, I'll be offering Lover in the Ice as a bonus scenario for contributors, uh, but it will be a three-PDF scenario package of horror RPG scenarios uh, that are translatable to many other systems, whatever your you know whatever your go-to system is, and that all take place in the 1930s American Great Depression. So, uh, one of the games has been posted. Uh, Love and the Ice has been posted. Uh, we've recorded the playtest of the other two. Those will be offered as rewards. And uh, Ian Moody is doing the art, and Violet has done the art for the trailer, which is worth watching for that alone. Because uh, I don't want to put my face on the internets. Uh, but I have cartoon Caleb now and Facebook profile pictures forever. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you should give me money. I would appreciate it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, yeah, the thing is, uh, Caleb's face, it's like looking at Katana Thoa. It will mummify you alive if you look <laughs> oh. at it. 
Tough. Just that bitterness and the pettiness just comes right out. Just like if I don't do that, dagger he will not, right in the kidneys. Right. He will not. Right he, on the air. he will not feel appreciated if I don't do that. I, I do. I, I just compared him to an old one, Ross. Uh, this will be released as a ransom model PDF. I should mention, uh, right? And this is like, yes. yeah, you've got, you're going to set up your own website for this. Hebanon Games, is that right? Yeah, uh, I'd like to do more stuff in the future. If this doesn't completely tank, uh, please don't make this completely tank. Yeah. So consider that this is not like an official RPPR thing. This is a spinoff, uh, basically. All the money that uh, goes to this Kickstarter will go to Caleb, Ian, and Violet for their work uh, in creating these PDFs that everyone will be able to enjoy. So Yeah, uh, I've, I've put some money down initially to provide some preview artwork uh, for the people in the, watching the trailer and that might be interested in contributing. Uh, but the money would go towards layout, web hosting, you know, buying more artwork, things of that nature. Uh, so I would really appreciate anybody's help, and uh, we would like to make Kebanon Games a, a thing uh, that I might do during summers when I have time off, supplemental game releases for various systems. So uh, No Security is kind of our test run. I, I'd, I'd hope it uh, goes well. We have a number of pretty cool rewards that I think are pretty original in the RPG tabletop Kickstarter community. And uh, hopefully we can do stuff later on if this meets, like uh, no something else yeah. <laughs> uh, for those who might be listening. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah. You want to phase that in gradually, right? Yes. You don't want to eclipse, though, the main No, I, would, I wouldn't want to yeah, do that. See. It's just a phase. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're very I good. could have contributed to that, but the <laughs> mic wasn't in front of me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, I'm too cheap to get multi-tracking for more than two mics. Um, yeah, I could have so, like, bought another mic, but... I no, it's not the mic, it's the multi... It's the audio I could have gotten a new one of those. Yeah, that, well, you, they're But more Ross expensive. went to China and left me to look after his lizard, that so... That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I didn't say it had to, Ross. Yeah. So anyways, Bitterness makes no yeah. sense. <laughs> Tom is uh, uh yeah. Anyways, uh, I would also like to say just again I a very special so thank you uh, to all the subscribers to RPVR and all the contributors, all those who donate uh, to help keep the website up um, and uh, keep it up and running. Um, and uh, also, please review us on iTunes if you ever get a chance, or, or whatever medium, whatever website or podcasting app. I know we just recently signed up for Stitcher, so if you you have a mobile uh, yeah. smartphone, you can use that. And I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, we don't edit ourselves. No, no. We, we, I edit the show, this show. I uh, said ourselves, Ross. Okay. All right. For instance, like, you know, if I were to suddenly utter the word motherfucker, yeah. you wouldn't go in and blank no, it out. Because I'm lazy and I don't care. You're right. <laughs> so let's. <laughs> so really, you have Ross to thank for that. Yeah. Uh, quality I mean, control. I, I, I suppose. Quality I, is important here. I suppose I could edit myself, but yeah. the thought of that just makes me sad. Yeah. Uh,. Makes me indifferent. So anyways, exactly. let's get uh, back to the topic. Uh, the complexity uh, complex. And by that, um, you know, I'm not going to make this show, obviously, about just, hey, I went to China. It was awesome. Uh, but It was in some ways, though, right? Yeah, it was. And uh, I saw three cities, uh, Shanghai, Dalian, and Beijing. And I those are see, places. Those are places. Thank you, Tom. Uh, I'm they, helping. <laughs> um, and let me see that, you know... Uh, uh, Life. I mean, 
we tend to be very reductive in our thinking. I think most people are. They tr- tend to think that their way of life, their what they do, is the average, is the norm. I mean, that's why we kind people of ethno- tend to buy... ethnocentrism. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's not even you know specific to ethnic groups or whatever. It's just sort of a cultural. It's a very cultural thing. Like we just think you know that there are uni- Hollywood tends to think that there are these universal myths that supersede all. Uh, things and while you know these blockbusters are very popular, you know that they make, you know, like the Avengers or whatever uh, overseas. But you you go overseas and you see that oh things are very different over there. Not just in the very obvious ways, like they speak a different language and they look different and you they know, value they, different things. Yeah, they eat different food. Like boy, do they? Yeah, they they do. Um, but it, it, it's a lot of the minor things. Like for example, the Chinese really believe that. Cold drinks are bad for you, like so they don't use thing. They don't use ice. They don't really refrigerate drinks. They think that hot water is good for you, so you drink hot water at uh, restaurants if you ask for water. Unless you specifically say no, 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 I want cold water. Um, then they look at you like you're, you know, yeah, oh, he's Westerners, like, foreigners, oh, Americans, silly ocean people. Um, so that's the 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 equivalent of or the. Exact version of what, or what foreigner means is ocean person because they come from the ocean. So, uh, anyway, um, so maybe start thinking about games and how some of these things that make life complex can be put into games and uh, make the games better. And that's the, obviously mm-hmm. the goal for RPPR uh, yeah, is to make gonna, games better, make your games better. But yeah, like, I, yeah, like what you were saying about you know it's just assuming that your culture, yeah. everything will be the same. That, I think it really comes out in games that have, especially that have like non-human creatures in them. Yeah, intelligent ones. Right. That uh, and and this works in fantasy as well as sci-fi. Yeah. Like I've been in some like Star Wars games where whole wholly different alien creatures are basically just humans that are actually Americans that are bugs. Right. Well, and it's not even that. It's like you you have like, oh, we're the planet of bug people. And the thing is, the planet of bug people only have one culture. Like, there's no, there's like the bug person language. language. Yeah, one language. But there's not like dialects or accents or like cultural differences between like the bug people in the North Forest. Oh, man, they eat grubs and they're gross. But the people in the South Forest, oh, they eat rats. And that's really tasty. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't have that kind of differences. And like in fantasy games, like in D&D, what's the fucking thing? They also speak common in fact <laughs> it, the language is even called common. common and you know people just um gms tend to i think in a lot of role-playing games i think caleb you're talking about how language tends to be depreciated in role-playing games in general right well as a skill yeah because it's really it's not a skill that you do things with it's a skill that if you don't have you're denied something you yeah. know if you don't have the language of the npc you're denied vital plot information. Have fun. Like, ooh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, so that that's not good. So I, I think that complexity is an extremely important topic in games. Um, I think it could go too far, which I think we'll talk about. Yeah. Uh, but I, I also think that it needs to have a clear idea behind it. So I have no problem with everyone speaking common if that's as far as we're going to get into the linguistic thing. But uh, if you want to rake a game about, like, some quasi-French language police for the bug people nation that punish, you know, wrong verb forms with death. Yeah, okay, that might be interesting. Or if you want to do, like, Sapper Wharf hypothesis and be like, they speak a different language, so they have a different concept of reality. Or uh, something of that nature. I I think complexity really adds to a game. I don't think a lot of people get into role-playing games because they're really into participatory theater. 
there might be some. Good for you. <laughs> uh, but most people probably get into it through sci-fi and fantasy settings. And the, the rush of those settings is that they're real worlds that show you the way things are not. Uh, and that's in order to do that, in order to have that verisimilitude, that feeling of being real, it has to be sufficiently complex other than like, oh, it's it's Earth in America, but there's magic. You know, you can't <laughs> you can't go too far down that road. Yeah. So. Like Earth with magic would be simple. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. that wouldn't fucking change everything. You know, like it's like, well, oh, yeah, it's all the same. But, but you know, but even with, with like different species and languages, I mean. It doesn't. You don't have to make it complex. I mean, if you're doing sci-fi or fantasy, it's the equivalent of either a universal translator or like a tongue spell. But it's you can still throw in something like okay, say a creature that doesn't is a completely alien creature that now through magic or technology can now you know create the words you can understand. Doesn't mean they're going to talk the way someone else would. And it, just a little bit of work on that can make it all the world a difference. Just under make them understand that they're going to have different thought processes. Yeah. So uh, it doesn't have to, you don't have to create a whole you don't have to do a whole like avatar new language thing. Well, I mean, I think there are degree. I mean, the thing, the key thing for complexity is you know you you mentioned it, we can't be too complex, and you know there are a ton of examples we'll go into about that. Uh, so you can't be complex about everything because then you're really not being complex about anything because you know you just the game can't run. You just don't have that kind of processing. Essentially, that right. kind of. Let process. me spend the next four hours explaining the yeah. proper the proper dining etiquette with the queen of the ant people. Yeah, exactly. You can't like you really. I mean, think about it. when you're running a game. You really you have limited basically processing time like brain processing time time yeah. in which to explain things to players and time and with player comprehension is your very limited yeah. resources you have very little of it you have to make sure that they comprehend the right things yeah. you're shooting a can- scene in a movie you yeah. have unlimited budget yeah. but you have a shooting schedule you have to get through yeah well no and you don't have an unlimited budget that's a lie you because <laughs> you know uh, of reasons um but you i i you, yeah i get your point um so you you basically the my my idea is that you can be selectively uh, complex about certain things in certain scenarios that you know if they enhance the story. focus on different things at different times and make that enhance the game because one thing is you know it, going against the language thing is that travel tends to be glossed over in games like you just go oh, we go from point A to point B when in real life like some of our greatest heroes and uh, in the real world are people that are just fucking they, their their accomplishment was going from point A to Mark, point B Marco Polo Lewis and Clark you know and um, you know basically mountain climbers Magellan even though he didn't make it yeah exactly <laughs> what god damn it Magellan you suck the fact that only yeah. one ship and 17 men made it back yeah. pussy yeah exactly take that dead navigator guy <laughs> um <laughs> he didn't even make it through the freaking Pacific, man. So, uh, so lame. You so you know, you you get the idea of like having to figure out how to travel and you know what the challenges are. You know, which yeah, you know, depending on the the scenario, travel could be a very quick, useless thing, or it could be epic. Well, I mean, the thing is not to make it like a challenge every single time. Then players would never want to challenge. The idea is to make it like interesting every you know, as to to vary up the the endless gunfights and you know negotiation scenes, which most I mean, yeah, I mean, okay, like a plane are. ride from Newark to uh, Miami is not yeah. going to be probably not going to be an epic journey. Yeah, but if you're yeah, you know, like if you're if you're Magellan setting sail from England to circumnavigate the globe, right? 
then you got you got an epic well, story I mean, of travel. It, it doesn't even have to be like extensive, but like even in like a well in a, a sci-fi setting like Eclipse Phase, where in the No Evil campaign, where we're these badass sci-fi guys, we frequently had to deal with travel issues. Like for example, customs in the sense that in the lunar tier, uh, we have to ditch our guns after every habitat because hey, guess what? They don't want you to take guns into these habitats. So what are they afraid of, man? Um, and one of the games that I played in uh, that I loved a lot was the World War II game where we were civilians in Nazi-occupied Europe. And just going through the city was a challenge because there were all these fucking checkpoints. And you had to deal with that kind of uh, bullshit uh, all the time. And I could see how... Uh, um, so, yeah. So, there's, there's uh, making travel interesting. So Yeah. Uh, with any issue of complexity, you just have to have a story reason for it. Mm-hmm. Or else it needs to be story time. Like... If, like you said, if you're just taking a plane ride and nothing happens on the plane ride, you need to be like, all right, you do that. And you're there. Like, it needs to be very fast and cut away transition. You got annoyed by the TSA guy. Yeah, yeah. You could have, like, little NPC flavor stuff, but nothing like that. I think if you're going to add complexity in your game, it's got to somehow be meaningful. So, say your party goes and they come into some new nation with a new language and they're anarchists, and they don't have words for prisons or laws or crimes. Like, the idea that there are specific rules and that those rules are transgressed and something like, they don't even possess the concept. How does your thief character deal with his identity? He's found a culture in which his defining characteristic, the fact that he commits crimes, no longer exists. Like, it's not even a concept to these people. How does he interact with them? Um, how do you do things? That's, that's meaningful complexity, not how do you explain that? How does the thief explain what he does to these people? Like, I take things from people, like I'm doing right now. Like, what is that? How is that a job? Like, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, that's not that's not you're useful. A, you're an object taker. What is <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, uh, exactly. Are there schools for that. Yeah, that's that's interesting complexity. Yeah. However, having worked in a number of bureaucracies in my day, there's also not interesting complexity. Like, you have to file six red forms in a blue form instead of seven yellow forms. And another, like, that stuff is currency exchange, unless there's something vital behind it and somebody just wants to buy a healing potion or something. Not terribly interesting. The movie Brazil dealing with that is not... Yeah, yeah, don't turn into the Brazil GM. uh, But, yeah, if you can find something meaningful to say in your story with that, that's, that's great. Well, I mean, and not just, like, major story things as well. Like, I think complexity also adds, like what the equivalent would be of local color like the sense like you, as you're traveling through this place like you you get a you, you forget that you're in a different environment like i would spend some time describing how the food is different how the customs are different how, what like some of like as you pass by the valley of the sh, you know the silent scream and like what's that all about oh well and then you're just like the, the guide yeah. tells you like oh here's a story about the basilisk and you know oh the knight stabbed it and there was a scream and it, or he was frozen as he was screaming and it's like actually uh, actually you know. I was in a, like one of the D and D games I was in had a moment I I appreciated. We were going through a Yuwanti city. Yeah, you're like snake people. Yeah, and there were, and the the GM he didn't make a big deal of it. Just casually mentioned, oh, and there are no staircases since the majority of people slither. There's just ramps and like kind of like spiral tubes. It was it was it was you know it didn't even matter. We never used it, but he mentioned it, and that's like just a little quick thing you can throw in, like. Oh yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, that does. That's that's a really great detail, and that adds a little. And like, would, was dinner just live a bowl of live rats? And like, here, help yourself. You <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, the, the thing was, yeah, the scene we were on a diplomatic mission, so yeah. we were we had to, you know, play the part, play the part of yes, we're negotiating. Oh, 
Yes, and it was actually was a it was a lot of uh, you know live well not live animals but animals that were killed that moment. Mm-hmm. And also we they, they asked uh, they asked all the you know human characters to oh uh, we ask one thing could you please put this uh, perfume oil on your skin the smell of human flesh is quite is quite bad to us mm. and trying not to say you stink <laughs> but nice. you know was just little details like about the staircase thing was what really stood out for me yeah i could see that um you know one of the things like just going through china uh, uh one of the experiences i have that would be a really great uh um thing for uh role playing would be like just they have street markets everywhere there are vendors selling fruit and everything like that but they also have night markets that they just set up on the side uh, uh streets or the sidewalks and you know you just have dozens of dozens of vendors selling everything from you know underwear to books but they also have everyone and food you know they also have vendors that actually sell weapons not guns but like knives nunchucks and tasers and they're just like there like next to the fucking children's toys and the the (laughs) puppies you know they actually have dogs as pets too i mean they unleashed of course uh but like that's that that would be interesting like you know and they're crowded as hell they're just you know wall to wall but so if you had a fight scene in some industrial city in china you just have people just running by oh here we go knife you know just grabbing weapons as yeah exactly grabbing weapons as they run along um so there's there's a lot of it you know uh we don't think of that we think we tend to think of like you know businesses have stores they have hours they it's very formal their practices but everything and you don't barter for price yeah we, we're not a bartering culture like haggling is another thing you know that was, that's another thing that language i think language even in a in a setting with like universal translators and shit like that or tongue spells you would have language as it like you need the skill to navigate this culture like you would like if you don't do have the skill you can't you just gonna piss these people off you're not gonna get in you're they're never gonna trust you you know because you don't know how to barter you don't know what the cut like there are different ways of bartering you know they're different you know like different uh like body spaces like americans like you know we stay far apart when we're talking you know but like certain other cultures you get right up in each other's faces you know the chinese they don't care about lines cues or lines they just like you just go you know so um you know that 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 kind of cultural knowledge is sort of one reason why a skill would be very useful. So, um. Well, it's not just more work for the GM either. So like with Tom's example, the first thing I thought, I'm like, okay, if there's a fight scene in there, if I'm a player, like, uh, and I'm fighting people with feet and stuff, is it cold? Like, do the ramps ice up? Does it just turn into a slip and slide if it's wet? Like, that would have logistical concerns if you want to, even for your power gamer, just out to murder everything yeah uh that's an interesting idea that they can incorporate and feel good about themselves for having paid attention to a setting detail in in a game so yeah uh for example when you guys which hasn't been posted yet but when you guys are in an anarchist habitat and get in trouble you guys took that and ran with it eventually after struggling with the anarchist concept for a while because when you did some horrific horrific things and got caught for it and it was a matter of popular vote to like live or not. It became, you know, high school election <laughs> law, like because there's no law to transgress. So it became let me meme engineer yeah. my own defense and get people on my side because it's all it's that's all there is. It's there's like popular more, vote. It's a more awesome Hunger Games. Yeah, and I thought that you, I thought you guys really felt good about how you handled that. 
and it was just a difference with complexity. And to be fair, say. the people we did those horrific things to totally deserve that. Yeah, well, I, I didn't say they did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you need to give them things like that, not just for flavor, but it also yeah. leads to really interesting role-playing situations. Yeah, so, I mean, that, and, you know, we kind of been talking about setting details, like basically things that are, uh, but complexity not isn't just about setting about what's going on in the game it's also the game itself i mean we talk about like complexity a lot of people like judge like rpgs by how complex the rules are you know rules lighter versus you know from all the way from rhesus or everyone is john to say cinnabar or phoenix command or palladium well no palladium is not phoenix command phoenix command is way worse than yes i'm well is I, don't, I haven't seen anything more complex, at least combat-wise, than that. Well, hero, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That's, all of that seems complex. Yeah, that's true. So When uh, you have to use equations in yeah. the game, you're, you're, it's too complex. So the idea is, like, when, like how much complexity do you have in it? In a, uh, do you accept it? And everybody has different preferences. But, you know, I think, again, it's, you have to be selective. You can't enforce all the rules in a, major, in a big game. You know, like any any D and D or any of those other RPGs, are like the thick hardback. You know, you can't enforce everything equally. Like, you know, uh, so like encumbrance rules or things like that. But the, mm-hmm. I know this. I mentioned this before. Like in a game where you're traveling through the desert, then the encumbrance rules. Hey, that might be a really well, interesting yeah. rule to enforce because I, then I think, like you, know, you don't have to. Re- yeah, you don't have to remember the rules all the time. But they there are moments where story wise they can really play a good part. Yeah, it's just like you know, in case like encumbrance rules. Yeah, as you just said, like, well, I really don't want to worry about that until you actually are in a situation where it would matter. Yeah, then it's good to have them. Yeah, um, or yeah. like or like dehydration rules or yeah. things like that. So again, I think it's uh, how much water do you have to boil that spaghetti in your Italian tank? <laughs> uh, yeah, for yeah, the uh, uh, Battle of World War Two or the African campaign. I can remember the yeah, the most complex World War Two war game ever that has never been successfully. Played or completed, I think. I don't know. Um, but if you can prove that it has been completed once, tell us. Yeah. Seriously, we want to know. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll talk we, about We want to meet the old men who sit in their chairs. I was rich, I'd buy a copy of that board game. I'd just make a web series about trying to play it. And then, it, like, it would fail after a few hour, a few episodes. But yeah. Anyway. Um, well, I think there's a lot of variance in the rules, too, depending on who's GMing. I think you yeah. have a lot of wiggle room there. For, so, for instance, I always have hit locations even when there's no hit location in the system. Yeah. Because I know one thing that really bothers me in a player as a player is in combat, which is a pretty vital scene logistically as to where everybody's standing and doing anything. Yeah. When you're like, you're hit with damage thing that takes <laughs> off health point on your avatar. But like, it's just really, all right. I'm playing a game. Like, I don't imagine a scene at all when I see that. Like, so even in Call of Cthulhu, I tend to be like, when you take so many points of damage, like, yeah, there's a hole in your arm now. Like, I at least tell you where it's at because that's more horrifying and more realistic. So yeah. I think with uh, depending on the GM, there's a lot of that because Call of Cthulhu is by no means a bad role-playing system. But, you know, you're going to get a lot of variance as to how complex it is depending on who's running it. Yeah. Uh, but there are examples like Phoenix Command or Cinnabar. Or I know some people have mentioned Eclipse Phase being too complex. Mega damage and whatnot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I can totally see that. Uh, so I think, again, like... It intimidated me from running it for a long time. Yeah, I think that was more the setting complexity than the... Although the rules complexity didn't help either. I mean, no. it's it's not... And then uh, uh, Wild Talents, again, the one-roll engine just... 
getting off that front curve of like you know oh matches not looking for specific numbers uh that that's a bit of a uh, well the errata helped eclipse phase infinitely lot. yeah oh so much better than the original margin of success margin yeah. of failure system uh but also eclipse phase is as complex as you want it like yeah if you want to run eclipse phase and just say there aren't any fabrics you have this gear yeah it could it's roll under Game some modifiers. Like, give your char- characters one handout and let them game modifiers in combat. And, not, and then it's pretty simple to understand. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if you just open up the fabricators and, you know, get nano this and quantum that, and, yeah, it's going to be fucking hard to keep track of. Um, so, yet again, I think it's a lot of GM variants as well. So, I don't know. Um, yeah, so, again, it, it comes down to, like, what, yeah, not just... So, Tom, you were one thing. Well, I'm thinking that you know, combat is its own special monster when yeah. it comes to that. Yeah, I know you mentioned something about like on one end, like too simple. I think uh, most people can agree is the the model yeah. I hit, you hit. Or, yeah, essentially the stereotype of D and D combat. Yeah, or RPG combat in general. Yeah, it's just basically a, you roll, you hit, then roll for damage. All right, what do you do? Yeah, and yeah, I totally agree. Hit points are fine for a video game. Yeah, but an actual RPG where you're actually in a fight for your life. It's going to matter where you get hit. And so I, I really I agree. I think combat needs hit location rules. Oh, really? I really do. I think, I think every combat system needs to take that into account. Mm. Because if you, know, if you get an arm disabled, that really changes your, the way you, you're going to fight. Yeah. Especially if you're the sniper and you can't fire sniper rifles anymore. Yeah. Or it true. also works for players, too, if you have an enemy sniper... And you want to take, you want to take, you know, if you don't, don't, if he's like heavily armored, but you want to disable him, like you can aim for an arm, like, okay, one hit rendered him useless. Yeah. I think it's really important for, to know where you hit somebody. And also, realistically, what, I mean, some weapons just you shouldn't roll damage for. If you hit a guy with a law rocket, yeah. you shouldn't roll damage. That guy's dead. Yeah. Well, I'm not against abstracting things. So, like, my favorite system is still a, a dirty world. Yeah, and would... you can't get more abstracted yeah. than everything, and that like every role is this combination of identity and emotion. Emo- yeah, like different emotional appeals. So uh, that even combat is, but that works perfectly for noir, where people get the hell, the just the other eleven bejesus beat out of them <laughs> to the point where they would die ten times over. And they still, you know, John McClane it through because they're a private investigator, and that apparently makes you impervious to bullets and fists. Yeah. Like, and, and that makes sense in the context of the game. There's nothing stopping the GM from being descriptive in that. Like, you have a split lip, your fedora is crushed, uh, your, your trench coat has a bunch of holes in it. That, that makes a better experience for the player. Uh, but for GMs that aren't quick on their feet with that kind of stuff, I think combat rules like hit locations and stuff can be extremely helpful yeah. for them. So, um, so yeah, you kind of it, it really depends on what again what your preferences are, what you're running, what you're trying to achieve. Um, but I think the thing is, you need to. I, I think every game needs some complexity, and you can't like whether it's setting or rules or a little combination thereof. I mean, every. 
Um, like even the games that we do at RPPR, I think even our rules light games have some complexity. Like for example, our 1980s League of Extraordinary Gentlemen mm-hmm. game, which was run in Wushu, which is extremely rules light, and everybody was being very silly during that game. But it still because had, well, they get, you you had to right because but we still had the complexity. But the complexity was knowledge of pop culture from the 1980s, which, which we are, like we, we have an abundance of. We, we yeah we do, and not everyone does. So we and it was like the whole thing was a play on the these sort of concepts and all, sort of. Like a referential, uh, uh, you know, postmodern comedy, you know, or if you want to get all, you know, conceited about it. But um, so, like, you know, going back to some of the ideas, like, for when I came back from China, one of the ideas I had for the game that I'm going to be running for the group at some point is a uh, Iron Heroes game. And I know I've mentioned I've wanted to run this before, but I finally came up with a solid idea. And for me, one of the things that I realized was just. Because the China had all these, mer- you know, I saw that they had street vendors selling everything from fruit to books to, you know, tasers. Knives. Yeah, yeah, to knives uh, on the streets that, and swords. Actually, I forgot to mention they had swords. They had like cheap imitation katanas, like at all of these stands. So, like, <laughs> um, I wanted to do a game, like, we, we tend to forget, and all, I also read a book while I was there called The Stealth of the Nation, which is about the global informal economy, talking about street merchants and informal uh, businesses all around the world. You know, like in Nigeria, how everyone there, like Nigerian merchants go over to China to have them contract to build like, you know, a thousand generators and they bring them back over because the electrical system is so bad there that they need that kind of thing, you know, those generators to run their businesses. And what I, I realized is one thing role-playing games almost always ignore is business. And, you know, we always were, were either, you know, heroes or villains, you know, fighting crime or, you know, fighting some evil or something like that. But, like, the majority of the world is about business, making money, you know, making some sort of trade. Well, most players, we, we weren't earning money, but we do it the old-fashioned way of yeah, killing kill. for it. Yeah, which yeah, – so I wanted to do a game that would, that would sort of focus, focus on that but in a, in a very interesting way. And so the idea is that the players are all – Veterans that that of some army that's been disbanded because the generals was dishonored, so they're all like disgraced soldiers, and they all they they grab some supplies from the the remnants of their camp, and they realize they see another army marching in the distance. And if you read up in the medieval times and ancient times, armies didn't have logistical divisions. They didn't have Hal Burton fucking you know contracting to sell them shit. They had like peddlers following them along the world, uh, selling them shit. So like that's the campaign is like the idea is that contrast your 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 former soldiers turn merchants so what do you do you stay like my 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 main thing do you is embrace gonna, your new business yeah. ethic or do you try to remain warriors? Uh, yeah badass like my thing is every time you level up you get to choose whether you level your character up and make him more badass or you level your business up and make your business more effective and more you know efficient so like i want to see how that that campaign that dynamic works out and so that's just one idea i had i think that uh, from like Going around seeing new things, so I don't know. So, um, yeah. So, for example, so using this as a setting, what kind of things do you think I should emphasize in this, like in terms of the rules and in terms of the setting? Well, I think um, so. This is Iron Heroes. It's you know, Conan S. All the characters are martial. Like they they they're just warriors. There's no there's very very low magic. I don't I haven't even decided if there's going to be monster. Well, I mean there'll be monsters, but I don't know if there's going to be monsters, humanoids, or anything I, like should. that. I, I say I, <laughs> that's just me. But you know, what if you could be a Germanic barbarian, Tom, a Teutonic barbarian? Yeah, uh, no, really, it wouldn't be the same. <laughs> All right. But anyway, no, I would think uh, one thing. I would also like I would like like to focus like play up a little bit on just the disgraced part. Yeah, you know that we're you know even if we get really successful businesses. Mm-hmm. It should, I think we should always remember that 
I think or like or you know it'd be business badassery or I think maybe a third like regain some of our honor. Okay, so like yeah, like the idea is I what one of the things I want to do at the beginning is that each character will have to specify two goals. One is one that can only be achieved by getting enough money, and so it could be like. Uh, getting a dowry so I can, you know, or getting enough money so I can marry the girl that I love and going back to my village and being, mm-hmm. you know, uh, settled down. Yeah. Or, and then like a person, another goal that can only be achieved through violence, like killing the guy who killed my father, you know, for example, mm-hmm. as a cliche, or killing the guy that disgraced our army or the, you know, the, the traitor in our unit or something. Or disgrace the guy that disgraced us. Or becoming the champion of the blood pit arena or something like that, <laughs> you know, because you got to know there's going to be a blood pit arena. There's a franchise of them. Um, oh, oh yeah. yeah. And I'll set the campaign into Silk Road, ancient China. Very, very mythological. Like, not, I'm not gonna, I'm all the historical research will be Wikipedia. So think like Hercules or Xena level of authenticity. So, yeah. anyway, so. Well, I think with that, you'd really have to focus on uh, the social norms of wherever we were traveling. Because mm-hmm. if we're running a business and we're like Bronze Age or whenever it is, yeah. uh, it, it's gonna, we're not gonna be running any kind of business that has sustainability as like so we're not going to be farmers like no, no one's going to be your peddlers trading and yeah. like it, it'll or... be stuff that we get by hook or crook yeah or it'll be stuff that like we won't have actual businesses because at this point it's not global yeah you're pretty locked down if you run a business in anything other than the modern century um so i think social norms would be cute because one thing that did exist although not in the forms of flyer you have to advertise it so what do people want? Like, what's a status item in this community of the Bronze Age? Like, how do I make my cleaver for battle more attractive than that other guy's cleaver for battle? Like, is it is it use the finest in dwarven enchantments, even yeah. though I just pulled it off some dead guy in a battlefield we looted? Like, and I lie. Yeah. Uh, so, I think social norms would be a key there because you know how do you get the person to buy your stuff over the other guy and it's not going to be much of a challenge if it's like rice yeah like everyone needs food you know <laughs> i buy your food because we need food uh, that's not particularly engaged well i definitely yeah i definitely want to have some variance in like what you can specialize in selling and how difficult like the, the rarer i the, the more valuable items will be harder to acquire you know like if you want you know if the the, the soldiers really want you know dragon scales or dragon you know or you know, basilisk scales or whatever uh to put on their helmets but yeah that's really fucking hard to get because you have to kill a basilisk or get somebody to kill it for you you know yeah you can only fence the silk you stole off that caravan which you murdered every man woman and child to get to refined class royal merchants so like how do you square the fact that you're some blood-soaked pillager of the highways with all this stuff and you gotta talk to you know lord von prissy pants i think that also hey the way to do that you have a face man (laughs) the attractive guy or woman. Well, that's the thing. Is also like, do you cooperate or do you like compete? You know, like each of you will have your own personal goals, but you need that much gold, or you need to do this. So, like, do you you can keep hoard the gold yourself. You know, you could corner the rice market, or you could uh, uh, focus on the high end goods, or you could try and work together so you all have pool your resources together and have one business. But then you have to trust each other. You know, the guy who's taking in all the money, man, is he skimming off the top? Yeah, um, or if you do, you know, or if you do allow, like, yeah. You know, 
lots of humanoids like okay you have the human noble over here who just he's trying to get money to reclaim his family honor yeah. then there's the orc over there that you know he you know he wants 30 more percent of his body soaked in blood of his enemies yeah and so, so, like so like how can we like how can our goals intertwine to create a whole yeah like, exactly you speak funny words what well, also comes up in strategies and character generation in the sense like how many points how many like you have skill points and then you have class abilities and I'll come up with some new class abilities that were just business related so do you put all your points into fucking social skills so you can lie and cheat your way or neg- haggle your way or do you put them into combat abilities so you don't die during the you know when the bandits raid or whatever or do you put them into normal business skills or you know how do you how do you build your character so well this is one of the benefits of complexity because I'm already thinking of like character concepts and possible problems in the campaign and i'm thinking that with us and our kind of pvp leanings you're (laughs) gonna have to enforce some sort of like definitive rule of law or morality system or something kind kind of break because you can't spell business without sin there's a reason corporations (laughs) constantly constantly have scandals the fact of the matter is the shittier we are to each other the more money we'll make that's just how business works the more underhanded and undercutting uh, you can be and get away with it yeah the more money you're gonna make and we're player characters so it's just gonna be a group of monsters (laughs) marauding through the countryside with total nihilistic gatsby levels of greed Unless there's some kind of like, you know, medieval FEC or, you know, you have some sort of religious influence or some right. something holding you back. So I think that'd have to be system-wise. And I didn't even think about that until we started talking about the economy. Well, I do. Uh, there, there will be some morality in the sense that you're, you remember all of you are following in the wake of a large army as it's going around conquering other cities and whatnot. And the thing is the quartermaster is kind of like watching over all of you and making sure you – if any of you start acting out or get too antisocial that all – remember, they, they need as many peddlers following them as possible to keep their army fed and equipped so like if you kill or betray all the other merchants they'll just kill you to keep all the other peddlers happy so that that's going to be one thing is that you can't act out too much otherwise the army that you're basically a pilot fish swimming alongside the shark and so the remora yeah the remora uh and so if they uh uh get to if the shark gets pissed at you you're dead so you know uh, don't i just kind of realize we're essentially going to be a whole party of daniel plane views yeah, in a sense. Yeah, if that's how you want to play them, I mean that 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 is a possibility. So because uh, there, we're players, there will be blood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for the larger topic, that's one thing to bring up. If you're going to bring more complexity in your game, I think it really helps to talk things out. Yeah. Because you've thought this through, but I could see somebody else running like, oh, it's in like an economy game where you're business yeah. be and three games in, it's just you're the Enron of the medieval world, just. Raping and pillaging with impunity with all your money. I I, I think it's good if you're going to talk about complexity, it breeds more complexity. Yeah. And it's really good to have somebody to bounce ideas off. I'm definitely going to have rules for businesses. Like, there will be like written type rules that will specify like what kind of goods you can sell, how to get them. Like, one thing I'm, I have in, in mind is, like, in order to set prices, like, instead of having to haggle all the fucking time, like, they, the soldier offers you five shekels for the dagger. It's worth 12! You roll the haggle. Oh, you get you can get them to eight, but that's it. Do you accept? Yes, you know, instead of doing that for every single fucking dagger, what we'll do is have one encounter to sort of set a guideline, a baseline. You know, like, you'll do one negotiation or one, and that will be your representative well, thing. Yeah, also, well, it makes sense. You're not likely to... Uh... 
you know, if word gets out that oh yeah, they're selling a, they're selling daggers for this much, yeah, you know, people are going to expect to buy a dagger for that much, and people will get really pissed if they come up like oh well, we've had to raise the price to twelve, but uh, like my like four other guys I know said they bought them here for for eight, like well they're twelve now, like well that's bullshit. Well, go buy a dagger somewhere else. I mean, because also they'll be, you can also remember there'll be someone there willing to sell him a dagger for for eight. Possibly, it is an army in the middle of nowhere, so conquering city to city. But um, but also, you know, but you're you should there's rule you should also have rules for reputation as well. Well, yeah, there there will be, but the the idea is like you'll each player will do one negotiation. He'll choose whether he's just an honest hard bargain bargainer or if he's going to lie off his ass or if he's just going to give away the barn. And then that will I'll, I'll set that will give him a final modifier for all his prices then on, and then that will be it unless he decides to change something radically. So that that you know Aaron's going to be like okay fine five shekels you know and then like I'll, and I'll bring they, I'll split your skull over. yeah exactly Tom will kill him uh, yeah and I think economies because Eclipse Phase definitely proves this economies instantly infuse any kind of campaign with a lot of complexity yeah like because there's too many things to consider so like if my character runs behind enemy lines in a big the battle of the valley of Flurbader, <laughs> and I saved the plucky drummer boy who hung out with me at the tents, like because I just I see him suffering, and I become some big hero to the army. I might sell my crappy daggers more than like super mithril ones, just because of the ethos of being the one that made it back There's with the, the with right. the plucky drummer boy. Like so, you can add fame in there. There's all sorts of other considerations, yeah. and, and an economy like any kind of barter system is going to instantly add a level a layer in a game beyond just me powerful kill thing bad and you know yeah. typical munchkin x well, i don't care i know what character i'm playing <laughs> me kill bad yeah so and then you know yeah they're, they're, well, i also have an mba you have to worry about getting employees <laughs> eventually you have to get worrying about you know supplies and deep protection yeah there's a lot of shit to worry about so well I'll, I'll for me yeah that's my challenge as a gm coming up with a right level complexity because there's also going to be crazy wuxia you know conan slash you know death fights every you know death matches every game uh as you fight off bandits and kill monsters and pursue side opportunities like oh the drunk guy says the drunk native uh that you buy the rice from says there's a cave full of gold over there but it's guarded by a five-headed ogre who shits fire and you're like hmm gold you say <laughs> you know it's like he said something else too but i just heard gold yeah exactly so like uh, that's kind of the balance of the game, and so we'll do successions of that, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, but that, yeah, it's 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 a balancing act, and the most complex thing of all is figuring out how much complexity you need. Is that is that some Zen shit for Whoa, you? Yes. My mind has just been blown. Um, so it, again, it, it's it's sort of about what what you think works and what doesn't work. Um, and yeah, any any other final thoughts on uh, complexity? And also uh, complexity, it's kind of a group consensus thing too. Yeah, I think yeah, def- it definitely is. But I think for all of you listening out there, I think you should try to add at least some new complexity to your games, just a little bit, if nothing else. Like give players that you know chose a weird skill and have never gotten to use it, give them some sort of advantage for it, or give them like a language skill, whatever. Yeah. And I, like and I, I think I'm going to write up some guidelines for using language as a social skill. Like, you know, as a perception and social skill to give you, uh, you know, it's not because when you learn language, you learn about the culture, too. I mean, there's just yeah, no way. Plus, around. And also, it's true that the better your vocabulary, the better you are able to sell something. 
Yeah. It's like, this weapon will kill your enemies. It says, this enchanted blade is like has vainglorious designs upon it. Like, well, he, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you mentioned group consensus, and I think that's a very good thing we didn't bring up. Like, so for instance, if we played a Doctor Who RPG, the level of complexity I would want out of that and the level that Aaron would want <laughs> would be so drastic that no one would have a good time. Yeah. Like, I would start parodying Aaron's insanity with just like, no, the third light from the left on that sonic screwdriver flashed green when he interacted with basement. Like, if it was like, I would lose my mind. And I'm just like, no, I sonic screwdriver. And just like, no, it doesn't work like. Like, I like the Cybermen attack. Oh, the Cybermen have been wiped out at this point in the timeline. The, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't, I, I, you could like probably break a group. If yeah. you have somebody who wants way more complexity out of a system than, say, a somebody can, else. So that, that is something to consider. A game that can yeah. end a marriage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's so, it. Like, I want a divorce. Yeah. I think, I mean, that that's definitely true. You really, um, I mean, because, again, there's all these players, like, and, again, not just setting. There's also, like, mechanics. Like, there are people who love, like, keeping track of encumbrance and shit like that. Like, every fucking iron ration, every torch, every, you know, bullet or spent, you know, whatever. Well, some people <laughs> like inventory management. Yeah, they do. Like, I'm just saying that, that they yeah. love that shit. And there are other people, like, I got... I got things on my character sheet. Well, that, it really, that do if, it, if it isn't armor, a weapon, or a spell or something, yeah. they're not interested. <laughs> I have a trebuchet. I bought that. That was cheap. How? What's that do? <laughs> it like, does a lot of dice. It does like ten d six damage. I attack with my additional notes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but like that's why I'm afraid to run Dresden because Jason and I have read all the books. Yeah. And you guys haven't read any of them, right? No. No. So even if I run it, Jason's going to... I watched gonna, most of an episode of it. Jason's going to be like, I steal one of the warden's stores from the White Council and then call up the blah, 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 blah. And you're going to be like, <laughs> magic? Can I kill them? Yeah. Ma- magic gun? Yeah. With magic? Well, vampire like, attacks, you know vampires can't do that in Dresden. Like, y- uh, yeah, exactly. So I, I feel like you really got to be on the same page, especially setting-wise for complex. Yeah, especially franchise settings, things that have established history. Oh, God, Star Wars. Yeah, well, like, Star Wars isn't as bad, I think, as some things. Um, I mean, I don't know. Star Trek, I think, is worse in terms of, like, specificity. Like, you uh, know, yes, the talky-techy-type sci-fi. Yeah, exactly. Or Doctor Who, I mean, like... I don't know, because Star Wars, there's so many different eras in it. You can just say, oh, well, this is this era, and blah, blah, blah. And this there's also and there's lots of periods in between that no one covers. Yeah, exactly. So I guess, yeah, you could, like, no, no, this is between the Rebellion era and the Yuuzhan Vong invasion. Yeah. Like, well, like, we didn't cover that much exactly. Well, well here's where this happened. HK-47 hangs out with Luke Skywalker, and then they go on the Death Star Five, yeah. There's a new Death Star, yeah. Is, like, is it like this is like six thousand yeah. years after Legacy? So, so. yeah. So we're, and technology still hasn't improved that much. <laughs> Although already angry. Actually, I love actually. It's I, a hypothetical situation, okay. and I'm angry. I was like, okay, totally different thing. I actually was reading one of the uh, dark, the uh, old Republic comics, and they actually okay. go back to like the very beginning of the Sith Order, where lightsabers actually had wires attached to power packs on a belt. They actually nice. showed that. Nice. Like, so essentially, in like twenty-five millennia, we've gone to wireless lightsabers. Um. Well, yeah. Like I said, Aaron's the nicest person on earth. But the only situation I can imagine him stabbing me in is if we played a Doctor <laughs> Who RPG. Because I'd be like, I want to kill Doctor Who. 
he's not. He's a monster. He destroys everything where he goes. He's immortal. He's fucking. T- I'd Lex Luthor it, and and Iron would stick a pencil through my throat, and it, he, it's justified. I would do. I would do the same with my pet settings, but uh, that's something to consider when you're. Going I actually did see thing. recently uh, some fan art of somebody of Doctor Who meeting Darth Vader, and it was like Doctor Who using the sonic screwdriver on the lightsaber, and Doctor Vader's like, "What the fuck's going on with my lightsaber?" <laughs> like, oh so, well, I can still choke you to death. Yeah, well, it was just a still picture, but I, I would imagine that would be the next thing, and then this sonic screwdriver would stop that. Cause it would stop the force. It's a plot device. Let's, let's because be let's be honest, the force is just little midi chlorians in your blood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. He's an elder god. He's terrifying beyond words. <laughs> if you're not the companion, he's going to destroy your life. Oh if you survive, oh which you probably will okay. not. I just realized. Okay, any, okay, anyone who's ever played the Elder Scrolls, the Doctor is Shea Gorath. Yeah. He really is. Yeah. A, a god, an insane god with massive power. Who can be charming and amusing and also destroy your life. Agree on your complexity first. Yes. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think uh, that, yeah, the, the level of detail and canon uh, auth- authenticity, uh, definitely for big settings like that. Um, so uh, on the note of uh, Doctor Who being an elder god of destruction, uh, we shall stop. Pause now. And then when we come back, Tom has a letter. I do. We have shout outs. Caleb has a special review of a uh, novel. Uh, and then we have he some will, he anecdotes. Will go all Gene Shallot on you. Yep, it's a book review though, so yeah. yeah. You, do you don't know any book reviewers, do you? I really don't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't read very much. <laughs> and see. <laughs> Today, I would like to talk about the future. Not the immediate future, like how America will become a so- socialist nightmare if Obama is reelected in November, or how 100% of people will be in the top 1% of income brackets in the f- free market paradise if Romney wins. No, I am talking about the distant future, like 100 years from now. Many people have speculated on what will be the true future. This seems to be a, quite a question nerds tend to really spend a lot of time on. I am no exception, and being a gamer and a nerd will definitely influence the two arbitrary media I use to determine what the future will and will not be. And no, Star Wars will not be one of the media. Yes, it has humans in it, but Earth is not involved. Okay, there was that aborted fetus nightmare that was the Ewoks movie, where two kids from Earth get sent to Endor, but I've taken many drugs to forget about that existed. So for what the future will not be, let's go to the nemesis of Star Wars, Star Trek. And I am not going to choose an actual Star Trek series or cast. They all display the reasons why this will never be the future we live in. First of all, it is a post-scarcity society. Like with, like with, matter, like with matter, com- matter compilers and teleportation, the basic necessity of life are no longer a concern. That isn't a problem. The problem is that there is no money. Not just physical currency, but actual trade. The whole society all works to better the whole. No one thinks only of themselves. And that is fucking bullshit. Human nature doesn't change like that. So the basic necessities of life are taken care of. People would just strive to obtain luxuries. No longer fighting for food and water, they would fight over 70-year-old scotch and diamond-encrusted dick wipers. 
And how about the damn medical tech? You're telling me you can run glowing tools three inches over a mortal wound and have it heal in moments with no scarring and the lifespan of humanity hasn't gone past 80? That is fucking lame. Totally unworthy as the future of humanity. Now, as a gamer, let me tell you the future I see for humanity. Eclipse phase. Now, this is eclipse phase without the titans. Ultra-advanced technology makes basic needs infinite. Fabers can... Fabers can turn any basic proteins into any food. Nanofilters turn absolute sludge into crystal clear water. Other fabrics allow any item to be crafted for, for pennies. It leaves you with an entire population of bored immortals where the only thing worth money is entertainment. Whether it's a, whether it's a simul space environment where you have a harem of Scarlett Johansons or jumping into a female octomorph to have a gang of males shoot sperm tarts into you, yes, that is the future I see for the world. A sinister utopia where the act of survival has been replaced by nanofabbers, and the only thing worth spending money on is a brief escape from the endless mundane existence you have. As for me, endless summers of octomorphs and sperm darts, autumns of neo-hominid gorillas and fecal flinging, cold winters and synthmorphs and humping washing machines, and warm springs of a swarmoid groping hundreds of women at once. Have a happy future. And we're back. Uh, first off, Caleb, you have a review of a novel that was sent to us, uh, Liminal States by Zach Parsons, I believe. They were kind enough to, we don't get many review copies, but when we do, we try to review them. Uh, and when we don't, I feel bad. So <laughs> thank you, Caleb, for not making me feel bad. Uh, any, anytime, Ross. Yeah. When it's convenient and the book's good. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Liminal States by Zach Parsons. It's, it's definitely genre collapse. Yeah. Uh, but unlike a lot of the stuff that tries to blend genres, it doesn't seem to be the sole reason for existing. There's no way to describe the book as it's genre X meets genre Y in a blank. Like there's, <laughs> you can't really do that with this, which I like. Uh, Liminal States is basically three separate novels, is how I envision it. Uh, but they have a clear through line with clear characters, um, and the story starts at the beginning and it ends at the end of the third book um it just so happens that this story takes place over such a long length of time and in a same geographical location that uh the author represents that change in time by switching genres of the novel um so the initial setup is that a man named gideon long has got shot in the desert i'm not giving anything away this is on the back um, he finds this white pool and descends into it and comes out and he's perfectly fine and healed. Um, and when he goes to get revenge on the man who gut shot him, he dies again really quickly because he's not that good at the whole killing people thing. And then he pops out of the pool again with all the memories completely unharmed. So basically he's found the fountain of youth. Um, he takes the man who shot him, Warren Groves, uh, they have a dispute over their mutual love interest, and uh, they they basically curse each other and spend the rest of their lives in some way in conflict with each other eternally. Uh, but the pool is not just you know random, inexplicable, mystical object. Uh, it's a major plot point, and it very slowly develops over the centuries until you get to the end of the book. Um, so the book's initially a western. Uh, it then moves to a 
character's perspective and it becomes first person and it becomes a noir and then at the end it becomes a dystopian novel mm. and all the way through it's uh, an alternate alternate history because the conflict between these two characters changes the face of America so it's an alternate history sci-fi noir western another cosmic one? horror another um, one uh, this is this is such a crowded genre. I yeah, mean, it's yeah, like dragons versus helicopters in movies. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just like all over the place. I know it's it's well, it sounds like a good effort, you know. <laughs> uh, no, seriously though, I'm going to read it myself. I just uh, didn't. I we got the print book, and I didn't want to take it with me to China because I just brought my Kindle with me because uh, that was. Uh, easy I to- read the Kindle edition. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I'm not. The only negative thing I have to, have to say about the book is that uh, the Kindle edition had a few typos in it. Oh yeah. But I did not find those on the print version. Oh. Uh, so it must have been just a transcription thing, I suppose. But ah, that's unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, the the book's very good. It's very. It's got a palette. Each novel has a very clear tone and feel to it. Uh, I, I think of it like a color scheme, basically, because in order to to keep these characters and keep their story moving forward, but still have it as a different genre, like everything becomes extremely heightened. The Western version is Western. Everything is dusty. There's rattlers every time you're not looking at a character. People are getting gut shot and there's Apaches scalping. Like it is Western. And the noir is extremely noir. Like, L.A. fedora hats, bad puns, you know, you know, dames, all that kind of stuff. So, um, it, it's very heightened, but it definitely works. So, right. And uh, I definitely want to run a scenario uh, based off of it, a Cthulhu scenario. So that'll give you RPG uh. nerds a, a little taste of what you're into <laughs> without giving anything away, because I don't want to ruin it for you. Nice. Um... Actually, that reminds me of one other thing. Um, a quick shout out. Uh, one of the books I got, I brought a couple books uh, for me on Kindle uh, for reading while I was, you know, flying or whatever uh, in China. And one of them was the Book of Cthulhu, which is a, a short story anthology uh, that was recently recently released. And I got it because it had one particular short story that I wanted to read that Scott Glancy told me about, and like he was wanting to base a scenario on it, and it was great. It's called Dang. So I read that story and a few others in it. So I haven't read the whole anthology, but the one story alone I think is worth it because it's fucking awesome. It's called Dan Curse the Darkness. Uh, it's Dan Curse the Darkness, and it's by David Drake. And if you can find it in Book of Cthulhu or wherever, just read it because it's a short. It's a very short story. It's not. It didn't take me very long to read, uh, but it's basically King Leopold's Congo. Okay, you know, very pleasant era, right? Um, there is a cult to Athu, who is an avatar of Nyarlathotep, and these uh, basically prototypical call Cthulhu investigators come in to stop them, but they're like. The, the whole story is like, why would these cultists worship a god that wants to destroy the world? Oh, wait, King Leopold's Congo. Yeah, no, I can kind of get why they would want to do that. Maybe. And if you, the listener, do not understand why that is, look it up. Look up King Leopold. Yeah, oh, fuck, yeah. So, yeah, so I could see why you would do that. So um, there's a couple other short stories that I've read, and they're, they're great. Uh, so, yeah, if you want Cthulhu short stories, I'd get it. So, anyways, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to shout out something? I don't know. Do I? Yes, I do. Yeah. Actually, I just got one. It's a it's a totally 
way you know 180 off of the t- last two things yeah. we just talked about. Yeah. It's actually I mentioned on the forums. It's a British comedy series called Black Books. Yeah. As a like Irish stand-up comedian, Dylan Moran is the uh, main character. It essentially does British humor about a misanthrope who owns a bookstore, <laughs> and the his two like the two people he deals with every day, and then random people. Okay. I post I in the forums. I also posted one of my favorite scenes and characters, which is only in one episode. But you know, the, it was on the episode "The Grapes of Wrath," mm. and uh, the character "The Cleaner." Mm. But it's it really surprised me as a really effective comedy series, which I enjoy a good comedy. Yeah, uh, the cl- I saw that clip and I re- I enjoyed it. Too. I thought it was pretty funny. I just I cannot get over British laugh tracks, sitcom laugh tracks. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just so like ah, like. Like, yeah, well, very... in, in that particular episode, another scene. I didn't. I might post this when they're then. Then, as the cleaners cleaning their place, they they decide to go house sit for a friend, so they have yeah. somewhere to stay while the house, their place is being clean. And it's this one. Their friend is a wine aficionado. Yeah, and it takes him down, and he has like t- ten bottles of wine, dusties. That don't yeah. He has like hundreds of other bottles in regular yeah. racks, but these ten are spe- says don't even touch these bottles here. Of course, and he's, they're already kind of drunk, so he says, only drink from these ten bottles. So they take one, and they start pouring it, and like every time they pour it, they have this like counter saying how many pounds worth of this wine they've drunk, and it goes all the way to like 7,000. Nice. Uh, sounds it's, like a good it's a really great. Series. Is it uh, on DVD or is it Netflix I don't, streaming? It's or? on. It's it, the whole series is on Netflix. Okay, so and I believe it's all. You can also get it on DVD. Oh, cool. It's cool, from cool, uh, cool. like the early two thousands. Uh, very good, uh, Caleb. You mentioned another ebook, uh, Wool. Yeah, Wool by Hugh Howey. I haven't read the full collection yet, mm. but um, it's called the Wool Omnibus, and it, apparently it's based off the the first short story. Yeah. In the book, uh, but the, all the short stories have the same collection. Yeah, and uh, it's it's very very good. It's very high quality, independently published stuff. I mean, it's not like it's underground or anything. He's getting a lot of credit. Yeah, for I've it. I've heard of it as well. Uh, but it is of high quality. Uh, the basic premise is that there is you know generic apocalypse. You don't know what, and everyone lives in. Those a, are the worst kind. And everyone lives in a silo. Yeah. Um, but. The idea is that uh, you you have to keep things in order in the silo. There have been uprisings of people who want to leave, but you can't leave because it's bad out there. So the basic premise is that the major crime, like the major snafu in this culture, is to say you want to go outside. And the punishment is death in that they let you go outside and everybody watches you go outside. Uh, and your job is to clean the cameras outside. So the the only real major crime in the whole culture is to say you want to leave the silo. And the whole idea of the stories is, you know, man's need to transgress. Man's yeah. needs to constantly expand and how that is so at odds with living in that contained culture. So it's got some pretty deep thematic stuff too but that's what the stories are basically about you live in the it's all about like if you want to go outside they let you and what happens there and it's uh it seemed like an initial just like a short story thing for me at first but having moved past the first one and moving on 
I could definitely the whole book. I'm I'm very excited to finish it. So oh great, I'll have to get that as well. Um, yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's getting a lot of notice, uh, a lot of good reviews. Um, I did get to read a few books while I was in China. One of them, uh, like I mentioned, was Book of Cthulhu, or part of it. But I also read uh, a book on China called China Road, where it's a uh, journalist, uh, a BBC journalist, I believe, uh, who spent 20 years in China covering it. Before he was going to leave, go back to London, he decided to go on a road trip, basically. So he goes from all the way from Shanghai to the Chinese border in Kyrgyzstan, which is, you know, fucking thousands of miles. It's a very long trip as he goes on this highway that they've just been building in the last 10 years as they've been expanding the interior. It's kind of like, you know, there's still this westward migration in China as they're building. Like, most of the interior of China is just, you know, desert or mountain. So, like, you know, they don't, there's almost all of these, you know, 1.3 billion people are living in the eastern coast or very close to the coast. So, He's going all the way from the very densely populated Shanghai all the way to the interior and just meets these different people. Uh, you know, the, there are, there's like 56 ethnic groups in China. There's like Muslims. There are, you know, other uh, uh, the Tibetans and then Taoist monks and just uh, it's seen a little bit of the best and the worst in there. And there's, uh, you know, office parks selling, you know, Prada products in the middle of the interior of China, you know, uh, cities with a million people that you've never heard of. And it's it's. It's quite a fast. If you want to learn about, uh, get a broad sense of what China's like now, it's uh, a good start. So um, let's see here. I think, uh, of course, uh, going back to the Cthulhu mythos, uh, I know one of you, uh, Caleb, you're the one who watched the anime series, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I watched one episode. So okay, well, no let me, let me preface this first. This is, um, I sent an email for, you know, I get emails from fans, uh, and they are like, oh, I think, uh, you know, they often ask me questions or leaving comments, and I've gotten at least two or three emails from fans, different people, just mentioning, oh, you should watch this anime series. You guys would like it. So uh, tell us about uh, Nayarko-san, the Another Crawling Chaos. All right, um... You need some water? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you need I, some beer? Just preface this, I don't watch a ton of anime. I watch, you know, Western guy anime, like Cowboy Bebop, Samurai Champloo. <laughs> you know, I watch poser anime. I'm not I'm not in into the scene that much. But uh, having, having seen this, uh, I, I'm interested to see more because it's just such a completely insane concept. There's this boy walking home on the way from school. This guy turns blood red. He's being hunted by a night gaunt. It descends from the sky to try and eat him. And then a Japanese schoolgirl drops from the sky and kicks the night gaunt to death and introduces herself as uh, Nyarlothotep-san. And she says, like, the translation of the subtitle is like, the chaos that is always crawling upwards. Like, <laughs> it's just completely nuts. And the premise is that she is a Nyarlothotepian, which are a race that police the other races from Lovecraft's mythos, like the Migo and the Yithians, <laughs> um, and that she's there to protect him because I, I didn't get as far as to why they were after this one kid. But apparently Earth is the hot spot in the universe because it has entertainment, specifically doujins, anime, and hentai, which everyone everywhere loves. So from that point... Why not? From that point forward, it became like hentai family guy or like... there. I, I caught like a tentacle rape reference that they joked about. And then everything else was... There's a Call of Cthulhu reference to the 
to the game itself. Wow. Uh, she talks about why she can't show him his tr- her true form, and it shows a sanity bar on a Call of Cthulhu <laughs> player sheet dropped down to zero. <laughs> um, there's references to, like, giant robots. It's, it's just, like, this big postmodern meta anime shit. And the best part is the whole time you're like, this is just some crazy bastard underneath an overpass. <laughs> the Nyarlathotep has driven completely insane. <laughs> like, this whole series is totally imagined from some broken Japanese man who's been driven nuts by a cosmic horror. Like, it, it's, it works. And so, it was just weird. Uh, so, that said, I've only seen one episode. I, I, I'll try and watch more. I don't, it's oh, a little, you sold me. I'm going to watch It's a little watch weird for my sensibilities. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's completely insane. So, uh, RPPR fans, those of you that sent, you the, sent us the link, thank you. <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> Um, let's see. I had uh, another. I read two other books. I'll just mention them real quickly. Um, then, or actually, Tom, you do you want to talk about the the movie we just watched a little while ago? Uh, well, I think we both need to. I think. Well, I think this needs to be something we both do. Because we think, I don't know if this counts as a shout out per se. Maybe I, a I think, warning. No, well, it's a shout out in the sense I think you people should be aware of it. Oh my god! Yeah, we watched. We we watch movies. Yeah, and sometimes we enjoy them. Actually, no, actually, I take it. We always enjoy them to some degree. Yeah. What that degree is. This is one, it was a found footage movie made in 2011 called Evidence. Yeah. And it basically starts as just about every single movie like this. Kids go into the woods to film something. And, of course, they're the completely archetypical college they're, kids that go into the they're woods. They're douchebags. The douchebags, you know. No, they're all douchebags. Well, they're all douchebags, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, they start seeing weird stuff. And I'll admit, actually, some of the we- early weird stuff is kind of not bad. Yeah, there's this weird mark about the 30, 40 minute thing where you think, oh, wow, this is kind of the, this is a new take on this kind of the, the genre of the Blair yeah. Witch kind of found footage. And, thing. Then, and, then, like, and then, then it just, no. And then, apparently, they, it's almost like they switched writers, directors, cinema, no, if they had cinematographers, now suddenly. All right, uh, now we're going to start throwing everything. Literally, and I mean everything. Yeah, no, they just like they never explain shit. There's just random bad random locations, random people. The military shows up for no reason. It's like they camped a quarter mile outside of a military base because they run for like five minutes and like suddenly there's guys with guns yelling at them. And then there's and, and then crazy they're, zombie they're like people. Some fenced off arena type thing with searchlights. Oh my god! And then there's crazy zombie people. There's a like, crazy rat thing. There's so, you know, just and like, like first, you know, first they're they're ordered dude. they're ordered they're ordered to halt. Then they're helped by the military. Then they're then they're basically captured. Then rehelped. Yeah. And then they're next to like some massive warehouse facility with offices and labs and like oh the the pregnant alien woman. Yeah, that yeah. that or was a, like there's a screen there's, yeah. there's a computer screen with a DNA helix. Yeah, there's, so obviously they're doing science. There's just it it, it, they don't even, and they never explain fucking shit about it. It just happens, and then no, she, she gets on a helicopter, and the end, and then they show like five minutes, and then of, the credits are just like special ops wankery like, of yeah. Uh, at, which After Effects did they filter? They use all, all of them. The, they used all of After Effects. They just like let's make it green and blue and red, and like oh, have little circle thing tracking. You know, it's like. I, I seriously, oh I want God. I want to meet the people that made this and say, 
Please just explain this to me. That's yeah. all I want to know. Please explain this to me. Uh, oh, my God. I have one more, actually. Oh, yeah? Um, while we were talking about Lovecraft and books constantly, uh, I really want to get, although I don't have the money, but uh, have you, The Weird, A Compendium of Strange and Dark Stories. Have you heard of this? Uh, uh, it's a collection of weird fiction, and it's by uh, Jeff Vandermeer and his wife, Anne Vandermeer. Yeah, I know that. Uh, yeah. what, what reminds me of it is that we're on Huffington Post today talking about some of the stories in it. Yeah. And it's not just Lovecraft and, you know, the occasional Stephen King or Gaiman story that falls into that. It's, it covers from, like, 1908 to 2010 all over the world. It's 1,192 pages long. Jesus. So apparently it's just, like, this speculative, weird fiction compendium that is just encyclopedian in nature like and all the reviews are really uh, into it and on Huffington Post today they put up like 13 weirdest stories ever written I'm like okay I'm like trying to predict what's on there I did not know a single story on there which is not saying that I've read everything but they definitely range far and wide. Like, I'll have uh, to look at that yeah so it's a pretty expensive hardcover book but it's got a pretty sweet you know tentacly Lovecraftian cover awesome. and apparently it goes beyond just you know the stuff you've heard of right right and it is freaking huge so nice uh yeah i'll have to get that i'll have to look into getting that that sounds awesome um yeah so the two books other two books i read uh while i was in china uh one was a corpse and corio uh which is a detective novel written by an american intelligence officer who spent 30 years covering North Korea, basically, from South Korea. So he's, it's set in North Korea, and it's about a police inspector in Pyongyang who gets caught up in internal intrigue between the various uh, agents, security agencies. You know, there's a murder in a hotel in Pyongyang, uh, and there's these various schemes by these warring factions within the North Korean government. And a human, you know, like the inspector himself is just a nice guy. He's just like, ah, I want to have tea and like, yeah, maybe solve a crime if they ask me, but whatever, you know, I'll just ride on my bicycle. But no, he gets caught up in, you know, there's murders and just like intrigue. And it's very uh, atmospheric and gives you a sense of what it, like, I might, one of my goals is to run a game set in North Korea and make it interesting and not just like a stereotypical thing. Cause it's, you know, the hermit kingdom, it's such an isolated, weird, reclusive king, you know, country that I'd like to try and humanize and see what the people are like in there. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, most of the people there are suffering. They, they don't have any choice. They have to be there. So, um, I, and just as a really good noir novel, a, you know, crime detective novel, it's really interesting, really good. So, uh, the second, the third book I read was the stealth of nations, which is about the global informal economy. It's a recent book came out this year last year and basically this guy just studies how the global economy has affected street merchants and you know informal businesses around the world and how people like basically like yeah dealing with the bureaucracies and taxes and that shit's not really profitable so we're just going to ignore it you know and in most of the developing world it's like a massive economy i mean the scale of the amount of money being made and exchanged by all these merchants is ridiculous. You know, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars worldwide. And so it, there's just numerous opportunities for modern games, not just like the criminal aspect. And I'm, and I'm not talking about the drug deal, drug dealing or anything this like that. Stuff. Yeah, just stuff, you know, like, again, vendors selling, like, sunglasses on the side of the streets, you know, and uh, people... Kitschy yeah, little statues. Yeah, or go, going to China, getting shit made, and bringing it back to your home country. Um, so, again, it gives you a, a sense of, like, uh, like, it gives you a lot of ideas, too. Like, for me, 
uh, in Nigeria, the electrical system is so unstable that they they all every business has their own generators. They build they sell generators there from like the size of like a shoebox to like you know the size of a building for very for very size business. So just imagine this. I could imagine a post apocalyptic society or a near dystopian one where people just use generators for everything, um, and just uh, imagining that or just like the various taxi systems where taxis aren't you know cars like just get on a motorcycle somebody's motorcycle and drive off you know. Uh, Ducking and weaving through traffic, so there's a lot of good ideas in it. Um, so, awesome. yeah, uh, and I think uh, that covers uh, pretty much every all the uh, little, uh, little shoutouts we have. Yeah. So finally, we have anecdotes. And while I was gone, you guys still role played, but amazingly, I guess. So yeah, we did. We had some games. You know, yeah, they're pretty good. But I think the weird thing is, no RPG we played could measure up to the board game we played in intensity and excitement and you know, just tension. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, every time I've played Arkham, like... We Arkham either, Horror. Yeah, Arkham Horror, we've either just, you know, stopped the hell, like, what mythos, boo, or, <laughs> or it's just been doomed from the start. Like, there was never any hope. We got an hour into the game, where it was like, we are fucked, and then we were fucked. Uh, and this game, I, I've never seen anyone pull it out so haphazardly. Like, everybody had one hit point, uh, one sanity left. Oh, we had so many monster surges on the board. There yeah. were oh, it was yeah, so actually, nuts. It, it, because the number of players, you know, it's the outskirts got filled up really quick, and then we had like five monster surges in a row. So <laughs> no more monsters could go on the board. So they all went to the outskirts. We have never had. We almost never have had the terror track go higher than two. It was at ten. Like, the terror track was at 10. The doom track was I had only two left before the old one awoke. And if that happened, we might as well not fight the battle. And, of course, and also, we were at the second act of The King in Yellow. It's, it, it was a basically every possible way we could lose the game was about to happen. But by the time we finished it, we pulled the cards. We would have added tune to the doom track if we'd pulled that card. The next card we pulled was the yellow sign, third act. So the game instantly ends. Uh, there would have been another monster Jeez. surge. Like, if we'd played one more turn, like one more part of a turn, oh, the game... Also, there were eight blight cards. Yeah, eight blight cards. <laughs> wow. Yeah, if we'd played one more turn... Done? It, because we, had a, we kept drawing a lot... Of, we kept drawing a lot of cards that were either advance the doom track or... Take draw some blight cards. <laughs> so eight people were completely insane. So we, and one of them was it now like now uh, it takes one more clue token to cl- seal a gate. Wow. Yeah, it was it was nuts. I yeah. can't imagine you like being able to do anything with that many blights on the table. Like, well, we we had most. We were. It's not like we weren't making progress. It's just that shit got steadily worse. As many, we did. did any characters die? Uh, no. no, we we didn't have anybody get devoured. Um, yeah, but we got we were all battered, bruised, bloody, and ugh. and yeah. It if if it had gone any further, it wouldn't have mattered. Everybody would have been like an end of the world. Who but. was the ancient one for the record? Oh, who was Nyatoga. it? What is, that, is it? Nyathoga, Nyathoga, uh, the, the the one that has the tendril special. The uh, black uh, made of pure inky blackness or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah Nyoga though. In Iogatha. Yeah, he was, that was the one. And, uh, and yes, somehow, I, I think it was Tila, our friend Tila was playing with us. The, the luckiest draw drew an elder sign. 
<laughs> for the last gate, we had there's basically no one had enough clue tokens to seal a gate. Yeah. Suddenly she gets one and a supreme act of teamwork. Like, okay, we cover her ass to the next gate. She gets to that gate, and like, and we do everything we can. Like, we just went suicidally after monsters on the board to make sure we didn't have yet another monster surge. And yeah, somehow she got out, had just enough health and sanity to spend to play it. We sealed the sixth gate. The next two turns, like, we would have lost the game. The next three consecutive turns in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever card we would have drawn, that would have been it. Wow. <clears throat> uh, I, I was thinking of this. It just came up. Second tiny anecdote. So yeah. I had a high school student who was, and she was really into Cabin in the Woods. And so she was asking me all about it because she thought it was just the best movie ever. And it's pretty, pretty It's good. the best movie of this year. Yeah, you should definitely go see it. Um, and I mentioned that it had Lovecraftian overtones, and she's like, who's that? So I gave her some Lovecraft to read, and she really liked it. Yeah. And it's it's weird because, you know, she's not the type of girl that would really like Lovecraft. Like, she's, you would ever think. Uh, yeah. She's really into sports, like straight A's, all that kind of stuff. But she just got really into Lovecraft at the end of the year. And <laughs> the other day, last week, it's near the end of the year, she came to me, she's like, all right, I really like stories, but how do I say this word? How do I say this word? <laughs> how do I say this? So, like, I'm a bad person. So I'm like, how do you think you say it? <laughs> oh, that so is So every worst. time I was answering was a like, question with a question. So if you ever want fun, try and get a high schooler that has no idea what they're talking about to randomly pronounce uh, Lovecraftian mythos stuff because it oh it's so horrible like yeah. he's he was such a bastard just for naming <laughs> it. It could be Cthulhu or it could be Cthulhu or you know, it's Cthulhu. <laughs> There's debate. Yeah, well the other okay, people so are wrong. There's the, debate about whether the Earth Azathoth, is flat. Nyarlathotep. Nyarlathotep. D okay. doles. Right. I want to say doles. D holes every time. Okay. Hey, Yig's uh, okay. pretty. Yig's pretty easy. Yig's not officially. I mean, that that was written by another author. Yib Sithil. Oh, that's Ramsey. He doesn't even count. That's, that's <laughs> but, the lesser. But, author. but I mean, or no, Robert Ludlum. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, I was just. Uh, I had a good time with that for a few minutes that's, before I correct. That, well, Dagon's pretty easy. So yeah. you know, teach your little brother to say. Yeah. Meet those words. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but the RPG has a pronunciation guide. <laughs> That's how I learned. Just get her into role play. It's on the internet. You'd be great in education, Ross. <laughs> I know. You're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong, and I hate you. <laughs> F. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, me, yeah, my, why I will never of, be a teacher. You remind, you remind me of that episode of Amazing Stories where yeah. uh, I think it was Amazing Stories, the movie where Christopher Lloyd is playing the really harsh English professor. Yeah. He was like, he says, your papers were, of course, insulting. F. F, D minus, your spelling was good. All right, yeah. I'll, I'll take it. Uh, something horrible happens to him, right? Oh, they they, they, they try to curse him with just, like, you know, hiccuping. Yeah. They end up accidentally killing him, and so they try to resurrect him, but they need a graven image, so they're using the picture from the yearbook, which they accidentally tear the head off the... <laughs> Thanks, off, Tom. Off of it, so he his body stands up and is separated from his head. Nice. Uh, all right, fair enough, I guess. So uh, that would be your fate too. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, Russ Payton. This has been RPPR episode seventy three, the complexity complex. <laughs> you stay classy, planet. Yeah, Earth. yeah. Stay, stay classy. We'll see you guys next time.